hello. Uh, welcome again to yet another hot summer night with the bad boys of podcasting. And we're here on the same day that um, Vice President Mike Pence is giving a uh, address to the Republican National Convention. But, you know, a lot of people complain that the mainstream media doesn't cover the important things. And I think that's evidence tonight in that um, Ace Watkins, that his uh, speech to the uh, Gamer National Convention isn't being televised uh, at the same time. It just kind of blows my mind. Is he live streaming it on Twitch? Um, you know, he, uh, I have no idea. And, um, <laughs> wow, you're giving, you're giving the media shit for being uninformed and here you are guilty of the same crime. I just know in my heart of hearts that ACE is looking out for us. Um, you know, where some politicians are offering cash stimuluses, he's offering free game pass subscriptions to all Americans. And, you know, with how hard times are, um, I think everyone getting together to play Halo Wars 2 online together could bring people together in a way that um, wouldn't be possible with just cash. Um, also, theme song. This is the Motion Pixels Podcast. I'm your co-host, August Meyer. August, say hello. Hello! And today on this hot summer night, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Matthew Rawlings. Matthew, say hello. It's only 71 here. I wouldn't say that's a hot summer night. Matt, edit that part out. (laughs) Uh, Because this is the Motion Pixels Podcast this week. Uh, Ladies, gentlemen. Um, nine non-binary members of our community. We are talking about some of the internet's hottest topics, like the Shutter subscription that I just got, um, which I'm excited about. Um, We're also probably going to touch on the uh, the Suicide Squad uh, game trailer, uh, which uh, we both have thoughts about, um, and the Gotham Knights trailer, which also dropped WB Montreal's newest game. I personally have been playing a lot of uh, Magic the Gathering Arena for the past week, so we might bring back our old uh, and extremely controversial segment, Card Game Corner. Um, Maybe Card Game Controversy this week. Um, And also, uh, I want to talk about Lovecraft Country, the new HBO hotness, um, the new good good on HBO. Um, But uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, so Matt, what are your thoughts on this Suicide Squad game trailer? It's been five years since Rocksteady has said anything, really. And in the past, like, week or two, all of the announcements for it have come out. They have been completely, completely silent. I think the rumor was that there was going to be a Suicide Squad game, but nothing was confirmed. Other people thought there was going to be a Superman game, um, from Rocksteady, but it is... The game is called Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad, Kill the Justice League. Um, this is a game coming out before, uh, I, actually, I don't know if it's coming out before the Suicide Squad movie. 
um, sequel, reboot, or whatever, but it's coming in the wake of the Suicide Squad movie with Jared Leto that was probably the worst movie I've ever seen, um, personally. The movie I was most mad about spending my time watching. Um, but this game, I think, looks good. What, what are your thoughts? Uh, see, well, we gotta talk about these. We gotta talk about Gotham Knights and Suicide Squad trailer at the same time, because I'm very flipped on how i feel about both of them um yeah so so let's give some background so uh suicide squad kill the justice league is rocksteady's new game and gotham knights is an unrelated game from wb montreal this does not take place in the arkham universe i don't know if suicide squad takes place in the arkham universe i doubt it because harley quinn looks different and uh yeah, that's, it seems like it's, a, it's in its own thing. But I do know that Gotham Knights is also its own new franchise from WB Montreal, who previously did uh, Arkham Origins, which yeah. I think was kind of like a so-so uh, critically received game. Yeah. Yeah, see, and that's, that is why I'm mixed. Because I thought uh, Ar- Gotham Knights, yeah, Gotham Knights is the title of that game. I thought that had a better trailer um because there's actually like a bit of gameplay i thought first of all i thought both trailers kind of sucked uh because they committed the sin that i hate that trailers do when they're just these big cinematic trailers with no gameplay um especially when when gotham knights is going to be a card-based uh mmo (laughs) yeah right like (laughs) see gotham knights they showed it it looks like it looks like they took the Arkham Knights formula. You can kind of see it in how the animations are and like how the moves are that it looks like a four-player co-op Batman uh, or Arkham Batman game. That's what I got the feeling of of that. And I can kind of make that call from it. Um, I think that's been confirmed. Yeah. Although it's also confirmed that you can play through the whole game with just one character if you want to. Yeah. Like and you, see- you never have to switch. And so, like, that game, like, if I were to just predict, it's, like, Montreal, like, their first uh, Arkham game wasn't very, it's definitely the weakest of all the Arkham games, Um, but the studio has been working on it for a while, and they might be better, so game could be good. I'm pessimistic. I think I'll probably be, like, good, but not uh, hitting the bars that the other Arkham games are hitting, especially with the whole new multiplayer aspect to it. Um, I don't know how well the Batman games will lend it to it, will lend themselves to that. So we'll see. Uh, that it'll be interesting. The Suicide Squad trailer I thought was awful, and I'm surprised that that's Rocksteady's game because I that's the only thing stepping away from that that I'm excited about is that it's by Rocksteady. <laughs> Otherwise, if I saw that trailer, I would not care about this game whatsoever because there was no gameplay. It was a cinematic trailer the entire time. And I'm assuming it's also a four player co-op game because there's four of the suicide squad people on there, but that's me making an, an assumption that isn't shown through gameplay. Um, yeah, I just thought it was, I thought it was kind of boring <laughs> to be honest. Like the, the trailer starts off with a uh, Harley Quinn, which it's funny. They're using the suicide squad version of her, um, from the bad movie. So I guess they're just sticking with that imagery. Uh, But it started off with her and it's like, okay, like this is a character I know. And then 
it pans to all these other characters that I don't know or care about, and it gives each of them like a 30-second glory beauty shot where they're doing like cool action and like flipping around and shooting stuff, and it just felt very like, eh. Like, maybe if I knew who these characters were, it'd be cool, but I don't think I'm alone in not knowing who the B or C tier DC characters are and not being yeah, right? Like when I see them flipping around on screen. Yeah, like who among us is a Captain Boomerang head? Is that oh, is that the annoying guy? Yeah, that's the that's yeah. the guy with the boomerangs. There's the, okay, there's him and there's Shark Boy. Yeah, Shark Boy. No Lava Girl. Lava Girl yet to be seen. <laughs> who is the other? I don't even remember the other <laughs> I don't oh, remember was, the fourth person in that trailer and I watched it like ten minutes ago. They had uh they had budget Will Smith as uh, Deadshot. Oh, there is Deadshot? Okay. Yeah, Deadshot was the guy. With, he looked kind of like the Rocketeer. He had like the flamethrower jetpack, and he was like, I don't miss. Hmm, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not excited. Like, if I'm going to be playing characters I don't know, uh, <laughs> this game is going to have a hard time. Like, that's why Rocksteady is the only part I care about about this. It's like a bunch of things I don't care about except the, the developer, which, you know, has a good track record so i'm hoping it's good maybe when we actually see gameplay i can tell but for now it's just like a mild interest i suppose yeah i feel uh i feel more positively uh than you but certainly not um not entirely excited because yeah i mean suicide squad the movie was one of the worst movies i've ever seen like specifically i was I was just really pissed off when I watched that movie. Uh, my br- little brother bought it for me on DVD as a joke. Um, I didn't even pay for it, but I, I still felt like I wasted my time. Um, there's a part in that movie where uh, a character whose whole thing is that they can climb anything. I, their name is like Slipknot, I think. Um, they're, they're, they're enlisted into this suicide squad. Um, and also, let us not forget one of the worst quotes in any movie I was this says it. kind I, of suicide squad <laughs> <laughs> that'd be like they get they get they end they uh they take the helicopter on a jurassic park and jeff goldblum is like what is this some kind of jurassic park like <laughs> what who wrote that but yeah that movie fucking sucks um but yeah slipknot uh can climb anything that's it, the whole reason they're bringing him on this uh mission because i guess they're gonna have to climb a bunch of stuff um, you know, assumedly there's not going to be a whole lot of elevators, ladders, stairs uh, on this mission. So they bring Slipknot. You know, God, what it's a, a very... lame fucking ability. Well, I can climb shit. Like, okay, <laughs> yeah, you're Nathan a... Drake. You're you're Nathan Drake. But okay, go on. Sorry. Yeah, it's a very dumb ability, and he immediately dies before he gets to climb anything. <laughs> and subsequently, the entire mission is full of stairs elevators uh they have no trouble climbing anything so i don't know what this slipknot guy would have even done and that always stuck with me that i just ugh, it just really pissed me off um yeah but that movie was horrible and the suicide squad game seems like it's kind of borrowing from uh at least the aesthetics of uh like harley quinn like it seems like the same kind of character from that movie um luckily jared leto does not appear to be in rocksteady's suicide squad however um it appears to be based more so on the lineup from the suicide squad movie um that 
just received a, new, a trailer, James Gunn's The Suicide Squad, um, which I think is coming out in 2021 uh, or 2022, maybe. But they released a trailer for that uh, a few days ago at the DC Fandom event, uh, where all these trailers came from. And that movie actually looks pretty pretty decent. It's like a pulp action movie that's made to be like an old war film. But rather than soldiers, it's a bunch of... There's like 15 members of the Suicide Squad and like John Cena is one of them. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one I think is actually probably going to be pretty good because uh, A, Jared Leto does not appear to be in it and B, uh, James Gunn is directing it and I generally like the movies he's done. Uh, he did the Guardians of the Galaxy films. He did, uh, uh, what was that movie called? Not Kick-Ass. Um, it was a movie similar to Kick-Ass with Rain Wilson. I forget the name of it, but um, pretty good director. I didn't really like Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but the first one is like one of the best Marvel films, in my opinion. So I think it'll be pretty good. Um, the Suicide Squad movie and this game, it seems like almost a tie-in. Um, so I don't know. I feel, I feel kind of weird about it, but I liked what I saw. I thought the, uh, I thought the CG was awesome. Like if that's an indicator for how good the game is going to look, which, you know, is a pretty hairy thing to say, but, um, at least if there's cinematics in the game, I think they'll look good. Uh, it's called Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League. And it appears based on this trailer that the Justice League is possessed by Brainiac, which, is like directly a uh directly the the storyline of Injustice 2. Um I don't know if you played Injustice 2 Matt, but the storyline in that game is phenomenal. It's like just an awesome like if the storyline in Injustice 2 were a a movie, it would be a good movie. It would be a very good DC movie. Um and it's also fun cuz Injustice is is fun. Uh, but it's like it's way better than a fighting game storyline deserves to be. But I guess that's that's been kind of Netherrealm's thing for the past few years because I've heard the uh, the new Mortal Kombat games have pretty good stories as well. But yeah, Injustice Two storyline is all about how Brainiac takes over members of the Justice League and like pits them against each other. And it appears like in the trailer for the Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League, there's a giant Brainiac ship in Metropolis with these big purple tentacles all over the place. And Superman comes and like just melts a human being in front of the Suicide Squad. And they're like, oh, guess we got to kill him. Uh, so that story is a little rote. Um, like I've, I've kind of seen it before, but. I liked Injustice 2 a lot, and if uh, this game is just more of that same kind of thing, it could be good. It could be good. Um, I'm mostly just surprised that, you know, story and everything aside, I'm mostly surprised that Rocksteady has been assumedly developing this game for five years, and there's no gameplay. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe they're, just, they're, maybe they're just a really long hype cycle for whatever marketing reason that they've decided, but pretty surprised that like gotham knights had a eight minute like in addition to the little bits of gameplay you saw in the trailer they also released an eight minute long like entire mission played with uh i think it was robin red robin and uh batgirl and it looked pretty good it looked pretty good but the fact that rocksteady's game which is kind of the thing more people would be excited about doesn't get that same treatment seems kind of bizarre to me and um i think only uh only would make people less stoked for it. But then again, like despite how people 
myself included, feel about the Suicide Squad film, uh, the Harley Quinn in that movie is like a like a, a cultural sex uh, sex icon. You know, like I remember the year that came out, I think that was like 2015, 2016, uh, like half of the girls I knew for like on Halloween dressed up as like the daddy's little monster, you know, shirt wearing baseball bat carrying Harley Quinn because, you know, it's just it's a very good character design, you know, very sexy. Margot Robbie is uh, a very good looking woman and i thought she played that role very well in the movie um i liked her in uh, birds of prey i don't did you see that no yeah it was it was surprisingly good i thought it had the same uh fight choreographer as john wick and it had oh, some wow. really cool yeah it had some really cool fight scenes there was like a like a five minute long like single shot fight in like a fun house at the end of that movie it was pretty cool actually but also it was kind of bad but i'd recommend it if people uh need something to watch i think it's on hbo max if you have that um, but yeah, I feel kind of weird about the, uh, the two games because I didn't think that the gameplay for Gotham Knights looked amazing. It looked like a lower budget Arkham game to me. Um, it looked fine. It looked fine. It didn't look like anything groundbreaking, um, but it'll probably be fun. I think the most amusing part of that trailer is that there's four characters. There's Nightwing, Batgirl, Robin, Robin or Red Robin, I'm not sure. And then Red Hood. And Nightwing, Robin, and Batgirl are all just like whacking dudes with, you know, they're punching them or they have like nunchucks or whatever. And then Red Hood comes out and he just has like akimbo pistols and is shooting people. So I guess he's just like killing people while they're knocking people out like like Batman would, which I wonder if they're going to tackle that in the story or not. Yeah, dude, he has stun bullets. They're just rubber. Oh, my God. <laughs> God. That's what it's going to be. If they address it, it, they they probably don't even address it. Yeah, they probably don't address it because in the Batman games, uh, you would have people like falling off of buildings and, you know, that would never be addressed either in the in the Arkham games. Yeah, you could like what was funny is uh, when I was playing Arkham Asylum on such a good game. Oh, yeah, my God. If anyone has ago. not played that game, listen to this. I'm sure there's a way you can get it for really cheap. That is a amazing game that you could beat in like probably 10 hours. Yeah. Arkham Knight or Arkham Asylum Asylum is really good. Uh, but so in detective mode, you can see people's heart beating. And so like, uh, when, oh, yeah. And when, you can see their like emotional status. Yeah. 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 So like you <laughs> like when you knock somebody out, their heart rate gets really low because they're like unconscious. And it will say that. But this one time, I think I, I pulled down a, like a building on somebody and the guy was <laughs> laying there and he had heart, no heart rate and it didn't give a oh, status no. as to what he was. Oh, so no. you could kill people. It was just, <laughs> wow. I don't know. Maybe it was a glitch, but I don't know. It, it was, I, I, I did something that most people couldn't live through. So I think it was like an unintentional or a, a very like small little detail they put in. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Batman definitely has killed people. There's no way that nobody that Batman has like knocked out with a single punch to the back of the skull has, has, has not died. Well, yeah, but there's it's no, like, there's just no I, think, way. I think all that shit is just like, it's like when you tell little kids that like their fish isn't dead, it's just sleeping, you know, like, like in, like in Spider-Man, um, <laughs> like you're, you're a fan, you're a fan of, uh, uh, Brian David Gilbert, right? 
Is that his name? Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the polygon, polygon guy. guy. Yeah. He did a video where it was like, I'm going to show you why Spider-Man isn't killing people of the new Spider-Man game. And it's like, he's like chucking fucking manhole covers at people's faces and like <laughs> blowing up cars that they're webbed to and slinging rockets back at them and throw, webbing them up and throwing them into lakes. It's like, yeah, Spider-Man doesn't kill people, sure. <laughs> he <laughs> just know? shoots them in the face with rockets. Yeah, like, I like see, and that, this is a bit of a tangent, but that's why Batman Superman was, like, kind of a good movie, because Batman just fucking murders people half the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has rocket launchers and machine guns on the yeah, Batmobile. Yeah, he's just murking people. It's like, thank God, like, we're, we're done with this whole Batman doesn't kill people. No, dude, he's just wasting people right and left, like... Let's not beat around the bush. Like, this shit, it, even if you're just beating somebody unconscious, like, that can even be worse than, than like, dying in some situations if you if they get, like, brain damage or something, you know? It's probably more <laughs> humane to just put them down, like, you know, depending on the in- injury. I don't know. Matt, so you know how we have, like, the after, uh, after pod little bit, like, the little audio bit that we do? I think we just found it <laughs> in what you just said. Well, oh, no, dude, that's just staying in. That's some prime content. Uh, no, I know. I think, you know, it might also be a little nice sizzle, a nice little like seasoned salt at the end of this podcast <laughs> to show salt. that you are, you are pro, you know, uh, uh, death. I'm death. Yeah, dude, I'm, I'm pro euthanasia. Uh, yeah. So <laughs> we're <dealing>. uh, <laughs> uh yeah very mixed vibes from these two uh batmaniverse uh video game trailers but honestly i'm just glad that these games are being made again uh it's felt weird um that video games have not had great dc universe games for the past few years because for a while rocksteady was pumping out these games there was like a five-year spread where there was like a game every year or so yeah well they I don't know. I feel like when when was the last one after the the last one I knew of like a DC or I guess maybe like I was thinking like DC Universe. I guess there's like Injustice and stuff. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, the last really one good. I was excited for was Arkham Knight and then the PC port was one of the worst oh PC God, ports yeah. of all time. So it and that's another thing like Rocksteady used to be really cool to me. If they make another shitty PC port, I'm not playing this game. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Hopefully they've learned their lesson. Because wasn't it like a lot of times these big budget ports are not done by the studio themselves. I wonder if that was the case. Yeah. they. Got, I mean, I don't know. I don't take that as an excuse. If you're going to put on a platform, develop it. Don't. Or yeah. if you're going to offshore it, uh, pay for quality. You yeah. know? Like it, it, the. I imagine they did because they did get Arkham Knight fixing. Uh, one of my friends was actually playing it a couple weeks ago, so and it works. And he said it was fun, so maybe I'll go play it at some point. But at the same time, it, it's also five years old, and I have don't. It's not like actively like I was never a huge Batman fan, you know. So mm-hmm. yeah, I I went through a phase where I was really trying to keep up with the Batman comics during the Court of Owls. Uh, uh, what, what do you call these arcs? Yeah, in, in the during the Court of Owls arc. Uh, that Scott Snyder wrote with Greg Capullo uh, doing the art for um, when Batman was rebooted with the new 52. That was one of the first uh, first arcs in the Batman mainline comic books. And Gotham Knights takes place with some version of the Court of Owls. And uh, the Court of Owls is like, in my opinion, one of the cooler things in the Batman universe. It's like this Illuminati of Gotham that has been around for like hundreds of years that has been pulling the strings. And they have this like 
like a network of assassins called the Talons that uh, are owl themed. It's all very cool. Uh, that that storyline in the in the comic books is really cool. So I'm glad a video game is being made out of it because it's it's ripe for that kind of thing. It would also make a great movie. Uh, it's it's a really cool storyline. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's cool. I think I don't know. D De- superhero comics have some of the dumbest theming. <laughs> like uh, like a whole criminal organization, they decide to model themselves after fucking owls. <laughs> owls are cool. What yeah, are you talking owls about? Owls are cool, but it's also like, yeah, dude. Like, like, can you imagine? Like, there's some like tough badass assassin guy. He's like, yeah, dude, I fucking love the hootie who. Like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just, it's so silly. I, I used to be, I was into, we all kind of got into comics at the same time in high school. Um, and I was into it for a year and then I realized that like, there's no stakes and it, it, I don't know. I just, they're more fun to see people's interpretations of them rather than like keeping up, I guess that makes sense. Like I like seeing, what, when, I, like, I'm not sure what you mean. What? I'm not sure what you mean. Like, I can't imagine following Batman comics or like Spider-Man comics or any sort of superhero comic because it's like there's no stakes because obviously the main guy's not going to die. But I'm I'm much more interested in it's like, oh, dude, fucking Christopher Nolan's Batman. Hell yeah. Like, I want to see how this guy does Batman. And I heard there's a new Batman trailer that was really good. I want to see how this guy does Batman. Like, I like seeing the iterations. Like, Like, superheroes are at this point where they're essentially like legends at this point where or like a fairy tale that a company controls still where like they'll do somebody's different interpretation of this character and like the character has like kind of a clear storyline like a lot of people will reuse bits but sometimes they'll drop them in drop them out like you can really change whatever you want with these characters because they're so well defined to their core um but I don't know, consequently of that, it's like following their source material in a way. Like like the comics of Batman aren't even really the origin or aren't even like the source of truth of Batman anymore, right? Like it's like transcended that at this point. Yeah, I think that's fair, especially because I think that uh, the Christopher Nolan films have had a monopoly on the aesthetics and theming of Batman for so long. Like even with... Uh, even with the uh, Arkham games, I, I, those those games would not exist without the Christopher Nolan Batman films. Those those movies just sh- set the tone for this dark, gritty version of Batman, which the comics have definitely touched on in the past. But that that movie solidified it in popular culture as this is just what Batman is. He's this gritty detective in the shadows, and all of his uh, all of the villains in his rogues gallery are these chaotic, you know, evil, evil people. Yeah. Like, I don't know, it's cool. It's cool to see something something like that just grow so much where it's essentially like it's part of American mythos or like a global mythos even at this point. Like Batman's just a character, <laughs> you know, that's just like most people know. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, and now, now with Matt Reeves' take, Matt Reeves, director of, uh, I always get this wrong because these movies are really badly named. Uh, Rise of and War for the Planet of the Apes, two of the best movies of the 2010s. Uh, quote me on that. Uh, his take on Batman. Uh, Batman is now hot because Robert Pattinson is now Batman and he looks great. I know, Matt, you don't want to watch the trailer because you don't want any spoilers, which I get, but uh, the trailer looked really, really cool. 
uh, for The Batman, um, which will be released around, I guess, the same time as The Suicide Squad. So we're now in the The Cinematic Universe, uh, I guess. But it looks really cool. Um, Interestingly, the trailer was compiled from uh, clips that were filmed before production shut down because of the pandemic and they only filmed about 25% of the movie. So I think it's, it's really exciting that there's 75% of this movie that hasn't even been created yet. Um, So there's not a whole lot of room. It seems like this is a good trailer to like get you excited about the movie without spoiling all of the beats of it, because I won't go into it too much, but um, the characters they show look really cool. Um, Uh, Maybe I will watch it. Because I bet they go back and refilm the 25% they have anyways, depending on how long it gets delayed, you know? like Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Um, I, I think it's resuming production pretty soon. I think I, I read something about that. Um, a bunch of movies are. I think they're probably doing things similar to like the bubble that the NBA is doing. Or like don't the Witcher. Don't quote me that, I don't know. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, The Witcher is doing like an extensive testing and stuff, which still seems too loosey-goosey. I... I we don't need to get into it, but um, I am excited for Matt Reeves's take on Batman. I, you know, canonically with the Motion Pixels podcast, we are a very pro Robert Pattinson podcast. Um, I love the dude. Um, I think he's one of my favorite actors working currently, and uh, I think he looks awesome as Batman. One of the coolest parts, one of the coolest parts about his take on Batman is that the bat suit is just like jet black. He wears like like Doc Martin boots, and from head to toe, he's just completely black. There's no like gray or you know dark blue or anything that you might see on like a previous version of uh, the Batsuit. It's just it's a cool take on Batman. And the Batmobile is like a souped-up Dodge Challenger with it looks like the uh, the time machine from Back to the Future almost because it has this like huge jet engine on the back. Uh, it just looks cool. It looks really really cool. I don't want to spoil too much of it. Um, because you haven't seen it yet, but uh, some of my favorite actors are in it. Paul Dano, Colin Farrell, and Zoe Kravitz are all in it too. Uh, Colin Farrell, and, like from whose line? Uh, no, Colin Farrell from uh, The Lobster, Is that not his from name? Uh, SWAT. Uh, are you thinking of Drew Carey? Who are no. you thinking of? <laughs> Colin Mockery. Yeah. I'm thinking of Colin Mockery. That's his name. <laughs> No, Colin Farrell is a very good dramatic actor, and he's under super heavy makeup where no one even knew it was him when the trailer first came out. And then all these articles came out. They were like, did you notice that that was Colin Farrell? And everyone was like, "Um, no, I didn't because he was under extremely heavy makeup. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, it looks cool. It looks really, really cool. And uh, the characters in the movie um, are characters that have not had, for the most part, have not had interpretations in batman movies for multiple decades so i am excited um for this new the batman movie and i'm I'm looking forward to um what else we see from it though i have no idea what it'll actually come out yeah i'm gonna watch the trailer after this that sounds sounds interesting i'm hoping the imagery is cooler than you're describing because i know you're excited about it how am i describing it the way you're describing it makes me it makes it sound like it i don't know like he's wearing Doc Mart- Martens and he has a souped up Dodge Challenger. Like, wait, I don't know. When you're saying those things in my mind, it makes me think that like Batman's like a part time pizza delivery boy who like. No, 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 no. <laughs> in this movie, uh, this is a murder mystery. There, I think there's going to be more of a focus on Batman as a detective. And it seems a little more grounded in reality, but not too much more than like the Christopher Nolan films. It looks just like more 
uh, gritty is the wrong word, but more grounded. Like it doesn't seem like the, at least from what we've seen, it doesn't seem like it'll be a ton of like billionaire playboy stuff. It seems like it'll, it'll be more like dark detective work. Um, and apparently the way, uh, so in a lot of Batman movies, you have a bunch of villains, like in the dark Knight rises, you had Bane and, uh, Talia al Ghul and Catwoman. in this one, there's a bunch of villains as well. And apparently the way that they're all going to be strung together, isn't in like some narrative that they all like culminate in. They're all going to be like, I guess, investigated as a part of this murder mystery that the story centers around, which I think is a cool take on uh, a Batman story. Yeah. Um, It looks cool. I think, I think it looks really, really cool. And you should definitely check it out. Uh, Anyone who's not seen the trailer, definitely check it out. All right. Yeah. I'll I'll watch it. Um, Speaking of watching things. uh, And also I think we talked about HBO max before. I, I got an HBO Max subscription to watch that Seth Rogen pickle movie. Uh, <laughs> and side note, uh, very funny thing happened. So I, before last week's podcast, we were talking with Dane and I was, I was talking to him about the Seth Rogen pickle movie. It's called American pickle, but I just tell every, I, I describe it to people as the Seth Rogen pickle movie because that's an easy descriptor. And he was telling me that he had just got off of a Discord call with Dunky and Leah. And uh, Dunky had described it as that Seth Rogen pickle movie as well. And Dane didn't believe that it was a real movie and had to like look it up to see that it was real. Because I guess the way Dunky was describing it like made it sound like a joke. But it is a very real movie. Because well, it sounds fine. like a joke. Yeah, it <laughs> Especially does. Especially when you <laughs> introduce it as the Seth Rogen pickle movie. <laughs> funniest shit i've ever seen but uh yeah it was fine uh if you have the subscription to watch it the hbo max subscription it's worth watching if you like seth rogan movies but it's not great um but i got the subscription to watch the seth rogan pickle pickle movie uh with some friends and i watched it and decided to keep the subscription because uh lovecraft country started to air over the past couple of weeks and it is another excellent race focused drama on hbo following in watchmen's footsteps uh do you know anything about lovecraft country matt uh no i saw a trailer for it i actually watched an episode of silicon valley on hbo today and they played something for it right before <laughs> yeah very totally different than silicon yeah valley, but... no it looks it looks cool <laughs> um isn't it uh what's his name jordan peele yeah it's jordan yeah. peele produced um, I actually, so it takes place in Jim Crow era Chicago. It's set in uh, sometime in the 50s, sometime during the Korean War um, in Chicago. And uh, about two years ago, close to two years ago, I actually saw them filming it. Uh, I saw them filming, I think, a scene from the first episode, or uh, it might be just like a exterior shot that's used elsewhere in the, in the series. But um, yeah, I, I watched them film it and I went up to like the line where they let you just random people come up to to watch them film it while well, they did because they were filming outside in Chicago and you can't like stop people from watching it. And I just, I like went up to the security guard and I was like, Oh man, I'm here to see Jordan. Like Jordan knows I'm coming. And the security guard just was not amused whatsoever. Yeah. I, I, can, I bet a lot of people try that shit. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Lovecraft country uh, is a uh, horror sci-fi show uh, set in 1950s Chicago about 
a guy who comes a, a black man who comes back from the Korean War and finds out that he has like he gets a strange letter from his father who he's estranged from um, that he has some sort of like secret inheritance um, in uh, around the birthplace uh, of H.P. Lovecraft in like uh, the Northeast United States. So he takes a, a road trip with his uncle and uh, one of his uh, like childhood friends uh, across the United States. And his uncle is the guy who wrote the green book for black people, which is a, a traveling guidebook for black people written uh, around that time to let black people know where was safe to go when you're traveling across the United States. Um, and like, for instance, it, it helps black people avoid sundown, sundown towns, which are towns where if a black person is caught in them in the United States after sundown, you risk being attacked. And that's, that's talked about and shown in the, in the show. Um, but what's cool about the show is that it's called Lovecraft country. And it's about going to like near where HP Lovecraft, the, uh, like science fiction horror author, uh, grew up and there are like Lovecraftian monsters in it. Um, but HP Lovecraft is like famously a, a huge racist, like documented staunch racist guy. And the show deals with that deals with a black guy who loves science fiction. Like he's always talking about these like pulp science fiction novels that he's reading, like John Carter from Mars. Um, he talks about that. He talks about all of these uh, like pulp fiction uh, novels that he's reading, including HP Lovecraft. But, He's a black guy, and the fact that he's into all of these novels that a lot of the time are meant specifically for white people is uh, is dealt with in the show. But the juxtaposition of like celestial horror stuff uh, is really interesting with the like very scary racism because like it, it feels like everywhere these people these, the main characters go is hostile against them because they live they're they're operating uh, the story takes place in like the Jim Crow era where black people were second class citizens in the United States and oftentimes faced faced violence like unprovoked violence by white people and um what's a really cool part of the show also is that the music and pacing and uh themes are heavily inspired by like 1950s horror movies. So you have these like really long melodramatic pauses between sentences that characters have. You have this like looming, uh, gloomy music that you, you would expect to see in like a, like an old, old horror movie. And I have not seen like a new take on old horror done like ever in, in like that I can, that I can recall. And uh, it's just a really, really original show. Like the first scene of the show, uh, I don't think it's a spoiler because it's like literally the first scene. But the first scene of the show is like uh, a black and white black and white footage of like the Korean War, like guys in like a trench fighting, and then all of a sudden it goes to color, and the the, the soldiers fighting are also fighting like War of the World style spaceships with like spider legs. And there's a giant Cthulhu monster that, that starts to attack the main the main character. But then Jackie Robinson, the, the the baseball player, like kills the Cthulhu with a baseball bat. And then Cthulhu starts to like reassemble. And then the main character like wakes up from a dream. And uh, it's one of the coolest opening scenes in a, in a TV show I've seen recently. And uh, kind of sets the tone for the rest of the show in a really cool way. Yeah, I, I'm excited to watch it. I, uh... 
I'm just waiting until it's all out. Because aren't they doing it week by week? Yeah, it is. It's the, There's been two episodes yeah. so far. Yeah, I and was the, about to sit down and watch it the other day. And then I was like, oh, uh, <laughs> it's not. There's only one episode. I can't binge this. I can't. I can't get myself into this wanting to see more cycle. So, yep, I will wait. Yeah, I have a feeling that binging the show will also be a ride because the second episode just aired and it felt like the season finale like so much happened and it ends on such a crazy note that uh i'm really not sure where they're gonna go from here like it seems like they almost like wrapped up a lot of the stuff that was happening in the first episode in the second episode oh, no but i ass- no but i i mean like it also kind of sets the stakes for the show because a lot of things happen that are like how do you how do you move forward from here? Like there's there's this stuff with like a uh like a white supremacist uh like warlock cult in it that uh is really cool and I think that there is probably going to be in the rest of the show but uh the stuff that happens in the second episode implies that uh I have no idea <laughs> what 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 they're going to do. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's a really cool show. It's a very original show. I have not seen like this, this kind of sci-fi horror um, with a predominantly black cast like ever before. I mean, please, if anyone in the audience knows something that's similar to Lovecraft Country, point me in that direction. I'd I'd love to see it. But um, yeah, it's been really cool. It's been really cool. And uh, it's a very refreshingly original show in 2020. Yeah. How many episodes are going to be? Is it eight? No idea. Okay. No idea. Well, I'll let. You, it's probably going to be done in like two months, so I'll let you know what I think about it <laughs> then. You'll have to let me know yeah. when the season finale is, because then I'll hop in and watch it. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I definitely will, um, because this is a show that I will, uh, I will be keeping up with, because what I've seen so far has just kind of blown me away. Well, cool. What about this other horror thing you had? Your sh- shutter. <laughs> Yeah, Shudder. a shitty uh, sh- name. Oh, my God. Uh, no, I'm, it's not. I'm scared. <laughs> like, like, it's like calling it Shake. I don't know. Um, it's a, Matt famously has bad taste, so take everything he says. That's the guy with the fucking Shudder subscription. Yeah, and Shudder has some great, great stuff. Uh, so I got Shudder to watch uh, an original film that they had that I heard some buzz about called Host. Uh, which is a movie it's a honestly i would call it short film because it's 57 minutes long so it's almost just like a really long episode of a tv show um and i think it was based on a short film that was even shorter than that but um it's extremely good it's it's a horror movie set in 2020 during the pandemic filmed entirely via zoom the conference so- the, like, like the video conference software there's been a movie like this before yeah, there has. There was a a movie with. Uh, it was when the found footage the, shit was a huge craze. Yeah, it. Uh, like it's all I through kids' what webcams. It was called. Yeah, uh, I forget that what that movie is called, but I heard that movie was okay. But this one is uh, extremely timely. Uh, like characters are like wearing masks and stuff, um, and it was clearly filmed very recently. Um, and it's about this group of friends who, in order to like hang out during the pandemic, decide to host a seance over zoom and they hire like a medium who comes uh like on their zoom call and guides them through like summoning spirits to talk to like dead people and uh let's just say hijinks ensue and um 
yeah, I thought it was a really original movie. Um, stuff happened in it that you could only like the medium of uh, Zoom, like making a movie in Zoom meant that, um, you know, your perspective is very limited. So you have some goofy parts where like characters are like walking around their apartment, like holding their laptop, you know, like who would walk around, you know, holding your laptop away from yourself so that like the audience can see the action of what's happening in your apartment. But besides that, like one minor gripe with it, the fact that it's in zoom meant that some of the scares that are in it, like you could only have if, if you were making a movie like via like video conferencing software. And it, it's really cool. Like it, it feels like you are like voyeuristically watching a uh, video call gone like horribly, horribly, horribly wrong. And if you like uh, like haunted house stuff, if you like like possession, like supernatural horror, I cannot recommend this movie highly enough. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. I'll- really cool. It actually reminds me a lot of paranormal activity. It's yeah. like as, as if paranormal activity were filmed via Zoom. Really. Yeah, like Paranormal Activity is one of my favorite uh, horror franchises ever. So watching this, I'm interested. You said I can get a free trial, right? Yeah, you can get like a seven or fourteen day trial for free. Cool, because this service looks really shitty. Like, and see, that's the thing. It is shitty, but it's like (laughs) shitty in a way that is great for people who love bad horror movies. Yeah, it's a. I mean, looking at it's just a B horror movie uh, subscription. Yeah, exactly. How and much are they charging stuff. for this? Um, I don't remember. I think it's like $8 a month, Jesus. something like that. Um, yeah, That's I mean, it's Netflix. perfect for me because I, yeah, but I, like, I mean, October is coming up and I plan to do the same thing I did last year, which is where I, I watched 31 horror movies and Shudder is just going to, like, provide those for me because last year I was, like, renting stuff on YouTube and, like, yeah, but you trying to find, like, shit. DVDs and stuff. Um, no, but that's the thing. This is like specifically the kind of horror that I love, which are these like older movies that are real, like real indie movies that are real low budget, but do really creative things. Like I watched a couple, uh, one that I did not like and one that I really liked. So I watched uh, Phantasm, which is a movie by the director Don Cascarillo, I think his name is, who I think is still working. <laughs> but this movie was like from like the late 70s. And it's about it's like a it's like a big cult classic. If you look up Phantasm, there's like tons of stuff online about it. Um, it's a very popular movie, um, but it was really bad in my opinion. I, I uh, did not like it. It's about like these two brothers who live in like a small town who go to a funeral and notice that like the funeral director is like taking bodies like during the funeral. He like takes the casket before it's like put in the ground or swaps it out or something like that and they're like why is this guy stealing bodies and it turns out that he's taking the bodies to make uh like mutant uh jawas you know like from star wars like little like tiny hooded people like they have like the they look like jawas like exactly like jawas like they they're like very short and have these brown hoods and uh are generally angry and he makes these Jawas in order to make more Jawas. It's not really clear. But uh, yeah, he's like slicing up bodies and making like Jawas through like a portal that's in his mausoleum. And uh, I think the only reason that this movie is popular from what I've seen is because it has this cool visual of like the guy who owns the mausoleum has this like 
metal sphere, this like chrome sphere that floats around the mausoleum. And like if intruders come in, it like rush it like floats around and rushes at them and then like these blades protrude from it and it stabs them in the face and sucks out their blood for what reason i'm not sure but i think back in like the 70s that was a really novel thing like it was a it was a very well done special effect so i think the movie got a cult following because of this uh this visual in the movie and i was not that impressed by it uh i had heard a lot of great things about this movie the version they have on shutter is a remaster done by Bad Robot, J.J. Abrams' company. So I was like, wow, this movie's probably really good if J.J. Abrams is attached, because um, I generally like what that guy does. But uh, no, I thought it was bad, and I would not recommend it to people, because it's like, the movie is like an hour and a half long, and it takes like 45 minutes for anything scary to happen. Like, the first 45 minutes are like, the the older brother going on a date with a hot girl and the younger brother just like being scared that he saw a like scary looking dude at this funeral seemingly taking a casket when he shouldn't be and it was just like 40 minutes of the older brother not believing the younger brother that something crazy was happening um and then finally like more than halfway into the movie there's like that sphere for like 10 seconds and then that's kind of a cool scene and there's a couple other scary scenes with the jawas like running around murdering people but they're not very good so yeah phantasm would not recommend there's also five phantasm movies i don't know how you can really make that many movies out of this franchise but i guess it's so underdeveloped the first movie is so underdeveloped that that probably works in the favor of making a bunch of sequels because you can kind of do anything with them but uh yeah, I mean, if you like truly bad movies, I'd recommend Phantasm. Uh, maybe I missed something, but yeah, I would not recommend that. Uh, do you have any thoughts, any questions, comments, or concerns about Phantasm, Matt? Uh, no, and I, I'm not interested <laughs> in it, so. Yeah, it did not seem like anything you'd be interested in. But the second movie I watched on Shudder, I really liked. So um, a couple of weeks ago, I watched, uh, I really love practical effects in in any movie, especially horror movies. Um, because I love a good gory movie. And I was on YouTube and I found a interview with Tom Savini. Do you know who Tom Savini is, Matt? No, is that? Uh, so Tom Savini is like one of the most prolific American uh, makeup artists and special effects directors uh, like ever. He's done like, I, I, don't, I haven't been on his IMDb page in a while, but he, he must have done like over a hundred uh, like sci-fi and horror movies, special effects. Like he did the special effects in the original Night of the Living Dead. I think like all of the George A. Romero uh, zombie movies, like Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead. Uh, I think he did Day of the Dead too, a bunch of the bad ones. And um, he also directed the remake. Like he was the actual director of the remake of Night of the Living Dead, which is pretty good. And I, I generally like this guy. He has, uh, he's a, like extremely good um, special effects director. Um, he has awesome, uh, awesome designs and gore in his movies. Like obviously Night of the Living Dead, total classic. And in this interview with him, it was like an interview um, where he took, he, uh, he took this like documentary crew around uh, the Tom Savini school of special effects, where I guess in Los Angeles, he has like a school where you could go and learn uh, makeup effects if you want to work in like practical special effects in movies um, that was really legit and I thought was really interesting and 
in that interview, they went to his house and his house is like head to toe covered in all of the like masks and creatures that he created in his movies. It's like, I don't know how anyone can live there. It looked really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like there's like, he has like alien and predator, like full sized in his living room. His bedroom has like an entire wall covered in like scary masks. And uh, it looked like like a novelty haunted house but it was his actual house it was like bro what is your life but uh he had a poster for a movie called the burning in his bedroom i think and uh it had it was just a really cool poster it was like this like burned and like mutilated guy holding a giant pair of uh garden shears over like a like a summer camp and i was like that looks 100 percent up my alley and then I found Shudder, and it just so happened that that movie, The Burning, was on Shudder. So I watched it, and it was great. I oh, would wow. highly recommend it. Yeah. Um, what was it called again? The Burning. The Burning. It is like, I don't know if this movie came out before or after Friday the 13th, but it's essentially the same movie. It's, uh, it's a movie about a guy who worked at a summer camp who got pranked by the summer camp kids, um, where they like he was like the caretaker of the summer camp. And at night the kids like snuck into his bunk and put like a skull covered in worms with candles in its eyes, like right in front of his face to scare him. But he like, as he's scared, waking up, seeing it, he knocks the skull over onto his bed. It lights his whole bed on fire. He becomes horribly mutilated by the burns and, you know, like almost dies and then comes back five years later to exact his revenge on the camp counselors who uh, work at that camp. The different people. Yeah, I, th- I, uh, I think there's some kids who just happen to be there still after five years. <laughs> uh, because, like, I mean, it was kind of hard to follow this movie. But, uh, like, it's not it really honestly is not as good as Friday the 13th, which I think is like a very tight, well-executed movie. Um, but the uh, the kills in The Burning are awesome. The special effects are really, really good. Um, Tom Savini did them back in the 70s. And... The main antagonist, uh, I don't even know if he has a name. He's just like, let's just call him The Burning. He's just a burn. He's a burn victim with a vendetta. And uh, his makeup effects are really good. You don't you don't see him till the end. But the suspense with uh, all of the murders where he's like picking off all these camp counselors is really good. Um, the last shot of this movie is like almost kind of reminded me of Midsummer, where like at the very end, there's like two camp counselors around like who haven't gotten you know brutally killed by this by the serial killer guy and they like stab him against a barn wall so he's like pinned to the wall of this barn and they set him on fire and the camera just like sits on this guy as he and the barn completely burn up and it's like a the shot is probably i don't know like like maybe 20 seconds long but it's long enough where it's like horrifying and uh i thought like a really bold cinematic choice and uh i thought it, i thought it was really cool uh overall i i would rec- if you like slasher movies this is a like a gem uh a total gem that i've never heard of before until i randomly came upon it on youtube uh via the tom cvd interview but um certainly if you're a fan of the friday the 13th franchise like the first three movies specifically before he like goes to space or whatever i like the the bad movies in that franchise too but the first three movies in friday the 13th are actually very good slasher films um legitimately and the burning reminded me quite a bit of those so i i would heartily recommend it to people who are into that kind of thing hmm. i don't know if i like movies like that 
I don't know if that's the type of horror. I, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. But the more you describe it, it's like, okay, I've never actually seen Friday the 13th either. Oh, I mean, I would definitely recommend you watch mm. that before if you're, uh, if you're interested. Mm. The original Friday the 13th, uh, cool trivia about it. Uh, the killer is not Jason Voorhees, the guy with the hockey mask. Uh, he doesn't, you don't see him until, I don't think he even has the hockey mask until like the third movie. Um, in the first movie, uh, the killer, spoiler, is his mom, this like older lady. Um, who is like trying to avenge his? I just uh, said I was going to watch her sons. <laughs> yeah, but Matt, you've had forty years to watch Friday the Thirteenth. They're not get spoiled. Sorry, bud. I don't have words for you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean that's like a very common trivia. Like, like Friday the Thirteenth is a very popular movie. Uh, jokes on you if you haven't seen it yet. But uh, yeah, very. I I really like the first movie in that franchise, and uh, yeah, The Burning not as good, but uh, a really cool movie. Um, and kind of, yeah, it felt like a kind of a gem in the rough because Shudder has a lot of uh, bad movies, like legitimately bad movies that uh, did not interest me when I was scrolling through, but this one seemed, uh, like a legitimately cool movie. And also the poster is so cool. The poster is so cool. I'm a sucker for good movie posters and uh, it's a very original poster. I'm sure we'll have it, um, up here, uh, in the video version of the podcast. I'm not going to put it here. uh, Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely check it out, Matt. If you get the free subscription of Shutter, you should check out Host and The Burning, that, not Phantasm. Okay. Do not check out Phantasm. We'll see. Maybe I'll, I might just put this off. I, I might join you in the October thing this year, so maybe I'll just wait uh, to watch the Zoomy. What is it called? Is that the Host? Host. Okay. Host. Yeah. 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 We'll see. I'll yeah, that would be a good idea if, if uh, for October we watched like the same movies and talked about them. Oh, um, it, I don't know if I want to. It commit is a to commitment. That. Yeah, it's a big commitment. It was like I had to like plan my day around uh, <laughs> watching a movie every day. Yeah, that sounds rough. I, I'll, I mean, I'm gonna watch horror movies in October for sure, and I'll just check those out then. Okay. Yeah, we we can figure out like a selection to talk about. Yeah. Out of the 31 movies that I will watch. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I think. Do you, Do you know what time it is? No. Uh, what time is it? I think it's time we resurrect a a dead, long gone piece of this podcast. Do you know what you know that would be? Savvy listeners, uh, listeners of the podcast uh, of your may remember this segment, uh, a hotly contested, extremely unpopular segment that no one but Matt enjoyed. A segment none other than Matthew Card Game Corner theme song. time has come yeah we brought it back that (laughs) (laughs) i spent way too long making that for the initial joke that we're just gonna stick with it yeah do you want to give some background into the theme song because you spent way too much time figuring that out why did wasn't it you said you're we totally have a theme song for this and i was like yeah fuck you i'm putting a theme song in here yeah yeah, so free. So I that was like a bit that I did that I stole from the Mega sixty four podcast, where uh, this one guy who doesn't edit the podcast will frequently be like, "Hey, uh, Sean, Sean does edit the podcast." He'll be like, "Hey, Sean, uh, edit in this complex uh, complex sequence here. Like, edit edit that in. Yeah, thanks." And then he'll just like continue talking about that thing. So me, in order to just like inconvenience you or shame you for not do it, 
I was like, yeah, just uh, edit in, edit in that theme song that you made. And then you actually did yeah. <laughs> go, and make, go and make the theme song. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. I was happy with it. I had to, uh, I data mined the MTGA files to get everything for it. That was great. <laughs> like I took, I took some Planeswalker voice lines, the deck shuffling noise, the match victory. Yeah, it was great. I remember that. Anyways, yeah, uh, you're going to lead this card game corner because uh, you are the one that has recently uh, rejoined the ranks of Magic players. So I want to hear this. Yeah, so I mean, you and I both got into Magic the Gathering uh, at the literal exact same time in our lives. Uh, the exact same day where we were stood up by a guy on craigslist um to buy a bunch of old magic cards just because we were bored and our friends were getting into Yu-Gi-Oh and Yu-Gi-Oh stupid uh come at us in the comments about that one but uh yeah we got stood up by this guy who was going to sell us i don't know like like a box of old worthless magic cards for like 20 bucks and uh we got stood up at a was that an l i think it was a del taco in <laughs> in downtown sacramento somewhere and we were like oh, fuck well we just drove all the way out here and we have nothing but shitty del taco which is the worst fast food taco place so uh what do we do and then i think we just went on like yelp or something and found a nearby card store and told our story to the guy behind the counter and he was like you know what i'm gonna take some i'm gonna uh take some pity on you guys and he gave us like uh, a bunch of like uh starter decks uh just to mess around with and uh we both got heavily into Magic the Gathering, spending all of our uh, hard-earned money that we had in our high school jobs on uh, booster packs and stuff, uh, and got really into it for a few years. But I fell off uh, when I went to college, and uh, just literally last week, um, I, I played a little bit over the past few years. Like I, I would play Commander, um, EDH, Elder Dragon, Highlander. Uh, with some buddies every now and then, I'd go to Friday Night Magics. Uh, some no uh i guess not friday night magics i would go to like uh pre-releases for new sets where they would invite people to come and play with like a uh a box of booster packs for the new set um and uh make i guess it's the sealed format or limited format um make like a deck out of the cart the packs you open um and that was always fun but i did not really stick with magic for the past few years and would only only do it to uh you know, connect with some friends whenever a new set came out. But this past uh, week, I don't know what got into me, but for some reason, Magic just seemed really, really cool. And one night, randomly this week, I downloaded Magic the Gathering Arena and started playing. And it's just, uh, it's just Magic. It's not anything gimmicky. It's not like a weird, uh, compromised version of Magic the Gathering. It's just magic the gathering and the um cards that you that you have are like the last i think they have the last probably 10 sets which is quite a bit at this point um to the point where a, a lot are rotating out pretty soon so i'm actually coming in at a pretty bad time because i think in about a month or so um like five of these 10 sets are rotating out of standard um which is a format that a lot of people play where you play with the newest uh cards but um, yeah, I've been playing a bunch, really enjoying it. I, I made a, a pretty decent deck that uh, I just played against Matt in a uh, PPC, uh, pre-pod conversation. 
um, where I... I would have called it a PPT. It was a uh, pre-pod thrashing. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's a sensitive topic, (laughs) but I I was doing pretty good with my deck that uh, is a pretty decent deck for, you know, the fact that I've been playing for like a week and haven't grinded enough to... um, get a whole bunch of cards but i've managed to assemble a deck that i've been playing online against people and have a positive win rate win rate with so far but um matt brought out you know he's he's a pay to win kind of guy he brought out his big guns against me in a completely unethical way Um, if there's an ethics if anyone actually listening to this knows if there's like an ethics hotline for magic the gathering um i would love to have that number so i can let the proper proper authorities know but matt took out his big budget big money bags guns against me against my my little intrepid you know uh you know i'm picking myself up by my magic the gathering bootstraps over here matt took out his big guns against me and completely molly whopped me like i i conceded before he could beat me um because i was so hurt so hurt because i'm a man of such ethics but i think matt's final strike against me would have had me at like negative 50 life uh he had these totally bullshit completely bullshit cards uh matt that you can put on the screen if you'd like so our, our viewers can see how badly you shark typhoon me. dude <laughs> yeah literal a literal sharknado he had two of these literal sharknados on the battlefield which were uh enchantments that whenever matt played a spell uh a shark a flying shark would be created that was as power powerful as as much mana as it took to cast that spell so uh he had two of those and was casting a lot of big beefy unethical spells at me and had about uh 30 flying sharks on the battlefield at one point and completely ripped me apart and uh, now i think i'm just going to stop playing magic altogether good <laughs> I could kick you out again. Yeah, it uh was very rude, but uh fun. I mean it's very zany. I uh the fact that that card even exists and seems to be somewhat playable uh makes me happy. It makes me think that magic is still pretty dynamic. Yeah, magic's been really good for I mean, I guess maybe recently it's been rocky, but the past couple years have been largely a lot of really good uh standard environments. So yeah, it it a good time to come in. Game's pretty good right now. Um, and Arena's great. Or Arena is... I'm really glad that they finally put it together. Because uh, the only reason I ever played any other trading card game, like like initially when I got Hearthstone, it was when I, uh, I guess, not quit, but like soft-quitted Magic for the first time, was I used to, you know, like you said, like, you're saying we start at the same time and I kept playing and uh, you went back to school, but I, I still lived in that area. Um, and I would go down to a one comics. Had you ever gone to that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. And in, uh, in Roseville, California. Yeah. Yeah. So I went back down to, I would go to a one every week and I'd play and I had this like blue white deck. That's uh, for those that aren't familiar. It's just a very slow deck that basically will just respond to what somebody is doing and, eventually wait till they have no options and then take control uh, of the game and kind of win just because the other person can't do anything. I had a deck like that that was very, very slow and it was very grindy. And I won this FNM. I ended up getting first place 
and everybody was a total ass to me. Like, at, like a, a borderline bullying, pretty much, uh, because nobody liked playing against that deck. But I don't know. It it well, would Matt. On top of that, Magic the Gathering players are historically a smelly. Uh, B, nah. have their have their butt crack smelling. Matt, this is like a this is a known kind of a known meme that is kind of transcended memes. As someone who's gone to a whole lot of magic events, like the smelliness factors at these events is usually pretty high. Uh the hygiene is not the strong suit of the magic. I think it's community. where you go. As someone that has actively engaged in this community since we started, uh the meat, there are people like that in the community, but most people are normal. So I'm like, the, like it's a funny meme, but a lot of places you go, it's not like people that haven't showered in forever. There are people like that that are around more than other activities for sure, but that's not like everybody is like that. Uh, I, I mean, I've gone to a number of different <laughs> venues to play Magic. <laughs> And the I would say that my general observation of the crowd um, that is particularly into magic and generally shows up for these kinds of events, I would say is not particularly well adjusted. Uh, <laughs> a lot of the people that I've interacted with have been normal. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying every Magic the Gathering player is smelly and not well adjusted, but there's just a lot of... A lot of people that kind of rub me the wrong way in the Magic the Gathering community. Like, kind of people who would, like, just do, like, gotchas and, like, really just be there to, uh, I mean, it sounds weird to say they would, they would just be there to win. But, like, the kind of people who just wouldn't be having any fun unless they were, like, the know-it-all who knew more than you uh, at the table. Um, that's the vibe I've gotten from, like, a, a pretty sizable chunk uh, of the people that I've interacted with in the Magic community. Okay, I don't know. I it sounds like you go to shitty places because there are Maybe. there are definitely places like that. But I would say that like the, I, and I, it might also just be that when you experience something negative, it it stands out more to you than all the normal experiences. I don't know. Uh, it, I I've just been doing this shit for nine years, <laughs> and. I have had many run-ins and gone to many different venues. And I would say that like, there are people like that for sure. But I was more responding to like the, the butt crack meme, <laughs> like the no. Yeah, so for shit. anyone, for anyone not aware, there's like one of, it's like one of the more upvoted posts on Reddit ever. I think it's a, uh, there's like an injure.com album you can find of a guy who went to a magic, the gathering tournament. I forget where, but he like kneels on the ground and like does like a prayer hand uh, in front of like a hundred different people with their butt crack showing <laughs> at a Magic the Gathering tournament. It's uh, it's pretty good. Definitely worth uh, checking out. If, Anyways, uh, this whole thing, I, out there. you sidetracked me from what I was saying. Um, <laughs> I, I was playing at A1 and everybody was a giant like, like, okay, so these are the people you're talking about. I won and everybody was angry because I was playing a deck that they didn't like. And this was a very yeah. competitive environment. And you were playing modern, right? No, I was playing standard modern format. Standard. Yeah. Okay. Um, and it turned me off of, uh, going cause I didn't have a good store with good people. Um, so I started playing Hearthstone 
uh, and I played Hearthstone for a while. And then literally when <laughs> I basically played Hearthstone up until I got into the alpha for Magic Arena. And then I just kind of dropped it and haven't really looked back. Um, so I'm really glad they finally did it. Like the, the first year it came out, uh, my spring break <laughs> that year, I just stayed inside and played Magic for a week. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> just like playing the playing the alpha just like nonstop. Um I love it. Arena is such a great program. Like it definitely has some pros and cons with how it exists in the digital magic universe considering like MTGO is still a thing. Like you know Oh, that's still around? Isn't that's that crazy? Around. Yeah, MTGO is still around and can, can you can you go into what MTGO is yeah. for fans who are not into that yeah so mtgo or uh pretentious people call it moto um oh god for shots fired <laughs> come at me <laughs> moto assholes um uh is the original digital magic a uh, game that was i believe like requisite not, not requisition like they a different studio made it and then wizards took over and had like a couple of people in-house maintain it and they've been maintaining it for the past couple of years and it looks like a game that's from whenever it came out like 2001 or something uh it looks very dated uh but what's really cool about it is it was essentially a pure digital translation of magic um where you only got cards from buying packs and if you had a card uh you could give it to your friend you could trade it with people you could sell it uh, there's like a whole it, MTGO is essentially a replication of how paper magic works. Uh, but the game wasn't well supported and kind of looks like garbage and, and it, it doesn't lend its, itself well to drawing people in. Um, like I tried to play it a couple times and I just couldn't get into it cause it was just such a hassle to play. Uh, but Arena fixes that because Arena takes like the Hearthstone method where everything's like, like a lot of things are streamlined. Uh, the animations are really flashy. It's like, it's just more visually appealing and looks a lot more modern. So it, it's it been great. It, it's, <laughs> it, it, it works more like the Hearthstone model too, where there's uh you can't trade cards or sell cards. Like you, you have a, your cards are bound to your collection and, you can't do anything with them, which, you know, a lot of people dislike, but I also think is better for the game as a whole because then you don't get top tier decks don't end up costing hundreds of dollars. <laughs> you know, it's yeah, literal hundreds yeah. of actual dollars, which is actually like the worst part of magic. And that's why I like magic arena so much. Like a lot of people don't like that your cards don't have value and you can't resell, but it makes the game cheaper and it's more accessible and you don't have to bind yourself to one deck. You have a lot more flexibility in what you play. And you get a lot of cards for free. Like, I mean, in, if you're playing Paper Magic, you're buying every single pack that you're opening or every single card that you want for your deck that you're buying from some card shop or online. But in Magic the Gathering Arena, um, it's like every, I don't know, at least every day, at least that I've been playing, um, I you, you get at least one or two free packs um, which in real life costs like three or four bucks um so it's pretty pretty generous in that aspect yeah like uh it, you can get really far uh for very cheap a strategy that 
Like, I mean, there's probably a bunch of guides on how to min-max it, but it's if you want to set out and play that game for free, it does take time to unlock a, bo- a bunch of... Like, if you want to have every card, that's going to obviously take a while. But you can get to a point where you have at least one, like, top-tier deck relatively quick, which is really nice. So you can play the game that way if you would like to and still remain competitive. Unlike Hearthstone, where <laughs> you'd be at a severe disadvantage and it's very hard to get to that point without spending a little bit. Yeah, what what is that strat for our, our listeners who would who would be into it? Um the earliest is the earliest bit of magic is the hardest. So the the strat is uh you should light buy the game and <laughs> spend twenty dollars. If you don't even want to do that, you have to treat the game like you're playing magic for the first time and you're going to slowly build a collection, build a deck and have an idea what you want to make. So you got to target a deck that you're going to build like your competitive deck. That's going to put up wins. When you get that, what you do is you take all the gold you earn. You don't buy packs anymore. You only enter. I believe they're called competitive events where if you win enough, you get a rare wild card in addition to a bunch of like gold that means you can either re-enter or buy packs with. So it's essentially a way to, instead of playing on ladder and just getting ranked to go up, if you play in a competitive event, it's going to pair you against people that just have the raw wins in the event and not people that are your quote-unquote skill rank, which in a card game is kind of doesn't mean anything anyways. But these competitive events, it means when you play and if you do well, you're going to get free cards. So then you just play competitive events over and over and over and over again, and you build out your collection that way. Um, as I did, I, that's how I started off. I also bought some cards at the beginning, so I was able to get to that point quicker. But that's what I did when I was playing in the alpha in the before open beta, because uh, they didn't let you spend money at that point. So in order to actually build decks, like that was the strategy to get cards, because <laughs> there wasn't really an, another way. So that's what I would do. I think that's the best way to go about it. That or play Wait, so draft. These competitive, these competitive events, are they time-based or is it just happening all the time? They're, it's just like a, it's a separate queue. They're always happening. Um, it's literally, it's hidden in the menus now, which kind of sucks. Like that's the one thing Magic Arena really sucks at is its UI. Um, like it looks good, but then you start looking at it from a functional perspective and there's just so many options, which is great, but they don't display them well. <laughs> like there, there's so many options that one of their solutions to it is there's literally a slider in the top right. You'll probably notice that next time you play that lets you switch between arena play modes and all play modes because, Boy. yeah, because, well, it, it, it's because they want you to be able to play the way you want, but there's a lot of ways to play magic, you know? There's draft. There's always like three different events going on that are spicing things up, like some fucking singleton future standard event. And here's a flashback draft and here's our ranked draft and here's our traditional draft. You know, there's there's a bunch of modes in the game, which is awesome. But in order to not scare people away with a literal spreadsheet of options to play the game, they they hide it behind a menu at the beginning. Which works, but it, it it's still like a shitty UI solution, right? Like, it's not you're hiding it behind a button. <laughs> you're li- you're literally sw- uh, sweeping it under the rug. 
Um, <laughs> but it's there. Uh, it's just under some stuff. But yeah, the, those events, they're always going. It's how people used to play the game before the ranked ladder was introduced. Because um, initially there wasn't. You would just, you could quick play or you would play in a ranked event. In the ranked events, uh, there's an entry. So you have to pay gold or gems to enter them. And the, the trade-off is the better you do, the better your payout. So you can either make more for your investment and get a rare wild card, or you'll get a little bit back. And I think you get like, maybe instead of a rare, you get like an uncommon or something. Uh, and the, the, the wild cards for, for listeners is a, uh, like a, a craft, kind of a crafting item that you can like one-to-one uh, trade for like any rare card or if you have a mythic uh, like in in magic the uh cards card rarities go common uncommon rare and mythic and a wild uh, a rare wild card you can trade for any rare card to complete your deck and so on yeah it's uh it's their solution to crafting in a way because it's not like a lot of people i would imagine that have played a digital card game. I probably played Hearthstone. So in that game, there's like dust where you can use it to exchange for different rarities of cards and the rare cards cost more dust and the, you know, the other ones are cheaper, but then in Hearthstone, you could grind them into dust and you'd get only a little bit back, but you could use that to get more. Uh, they don't do that in this game. They just give you a bunch of wild cards. So you have to unlock those to get cards you want and you, but the trade-off is you can never get rid of them. But you get a lot more often than you get dust in Hearthstone. So it's kind of a better system in a way. Because uh, it also means you can't ever accidentally like grind up stuff that you might want to use someday. Which I think a lot of long-term Hearthstone players probably have. So I, I like it. But Yeah, that's one thing I was thrown off about with Magic the Gathering Arena. Is that you get, when you open open packs... You know, ninety percent of the cards you're opening, you'll you'll never play because they're in some color that you don't care about, or are just you know cards that don't uh, work with any deck you might be interested in. So I, when I first opened uh, a pack and saw, oh, this card I don't care about, I tried to figure out how I could uh, like dust it like you can in Hearthstone, so that I can convert it into like a wild card or some currency or whatever that I can use to get other packs. But that that option doesn't exist, which I guess it's cool in terms of it kind of forces you to build out your collection, um, but is it seems like it, it would make building decks a little slower because you can't just uh, turn all of the cards you don't care about into crafting materials uh, into cards you actually do care about, which you can you can do in Hearthstone. Yeah, it doesn't let you target as much, but the the real shitty thing about Hearthstone is it's theoretical. It theoretically you can spend ten thousand dollars on Hearthstone. And walk away with an account full of nothing, which is... What do you mean? Be- because So when you craft something and you dust it, it's like one to eight back. You don't get full value for a card, right? So you can spend $10,000 in Hearthstone and over time slowly grind your collection away into nothing, which is kind of oh, insanity. Sure. You know, sure, sure, like, sure. It, it, like the, no, no one's going to do that, but you could do that, which mm-hmm. is... I, I don't know. Like, it sucks that you can't feel like you can trade off something to get closer to your collection. But the the benefit is it, it doesn't let you shoot yourself in the foot. 
which is cool. And they give you more stuff faster than like a, a game like Hearthstone does because of that. So you acquire a bunch of stuff faster, which lets you experiment and build instead of forcing a net deck. It's like, well, I have a lot of fucking white and blue cards. Let's, let's see what I can make with this. You know, um, I think it organically grows in a nice way that isn't nice if you want to try to force yourself to do one specific thing, but is good if you want to play the game more organically. Yeah, and I, I would say that my first interest was to uh, cr- create a net deck because that is just how I'm used to playing these card games. That's what I would always do in Hearthstone. That's what I would do in in Paper Magic is find some popular deck list uh, and you know make maybe make some changes to it that I thought were fun and. Uh, then you know take it to events and play with it um, typically that's that's how I would play and um, I, I mean I did that I I spent $25 um, in Magic the Gathering Arena to uh, be able to uh, craft the deck that I wanted and, I, and for the most part I was able to and add, I added a little spice of my own I made a, a vampire uh, like life gain based deck Vampires have always been one of my favorite archetypes in Magic Magic the Gathering. This deck is black and black and white. Eventually I'd like to make like a, a graveyard, uh a graveyard-based black, white, and green deck. So I, I want to try to focus that. But um yeah, I mean with very little investment, you know, I was able to make a, a, a pretty decent deck so far. And I think if I if I keep at it, I should be able to make other decks that I want to just with the cards that I, that I get from grinding. Cause I think just today I already got like two packs just from playing a little bit. Yeah. And then it gives you, you know, it's one of those games where it has dailies and all that. So you can keep going every day, get a little bit more. Yeah. Do you typically play like when you started, did you play by just making whatever deck you could with the cards that you got, or did you grind or like drop a little bit of money in to make like a specific deck that you wanted to play? That's how I played the alpha. And I didn't want to do that again when open beta started. So I spent money um, because I had done it. <laughs> you know, I, I had played the game free to play for like six months and I was like, I, and I got to a point where I had a bunch of decks and I was like, well, because when they went open beta, they wiped the collections because that's like the starting point. Like, therefore, it, they wouldn't do that again. Um, but I had all the shit and I just lost it. So I was like, I just want to get all of it back. So I think I dropped like $40 when the game first came out to kind of get in a position where I had some decks again. And since then, I usually, I usually buy a, at least $20 worth of cards each set. But... Yeah. See, and that is that is such a tiny investment compared to paper magic. In paper That's magic, forty dollars gets you nothing. You cannot make a deck like that you can take to a Friday night magic and win. Unless it's like, I don't know, unless you get really creative with uh some, some basic cards, which you can do, really. I so I guess I I wasn't being entirely accurate, but for the most part, like you can't really make a an actual paper magic net deck for like 20 to 40 dollars you really just can't yeah there's always one where it's like i don't know there's a lot of denial denialists in the magic community that are like well actually here's a 15 dollar paper deck that has a 51 percent win rate it's like yeah but but that's like one deck yeah but nobody wants to play that fucking deck either because it's dumb and it's glass cannony and nobody likes it you know yeah (laughs) like like it's uh, the the huge issue with paper magic is like 
I don't know. We can't even talk about that. That's such a huge topic. But paper magic is expensive. I used to uh, split a box or buy a box of paper cards every set, which is a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And you can't even build what you want out of that because it's literally just buying 36 packs that you, you're you honestly better off buying singles if you're going to engage in paper magic than buying. For sure. Yeah. But this game, you spend, like, if not half, like you can spend 50, you can spend 20, you're going to get shit and it's going to be good. And a Magic Arena, I have spent significantly less money than I have in Paper Magic, which I've spent a good amount. <laughs> I've spent a good amount on. Um, I dropped out of Standard and played Modern in Paper Magic because it was just cheaper in the long run because I didn't have to buy a two hundred dollar deck every year. In Arena, you buy what? You buy one two hundred dollar deck and that lasts you for or a few years. You buy years. like one five hundred dollar deck and it lasts you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know whatever we'll ignore that uh, <laughs> um, but arena's been great because i can build whatever the fuck i want and i probably i've only spent like i don't know i've been playing arena for like three years now i probably spent like 200 dollars on it realistically but i can play whatever i want so it, it's awesome it's like i can and actually this is a game you in, play almost every day yeah i play magic like at least four or five times a week it, it's it's been my constant go-to for nine years. I love the thing, and I have saved money playing Arena <laughs> compared to how I used to engage in the game. And I can play mm-hmm. more, and I can play it in different ways. Because Paper Magic, it for unless you want to, unless you're like literally a millionaire, you play one deck because that's it's very expensive to get that one deck, and that's your deck. And people like it's weird. Like you'll see people playing Modern, and it's like. There's these Discord communities for decks and people just love a specific deck because it's like, I mean, it's kind of cool in a way. Like people identify with it. But I honestly believe that's just a side effect of decks being so expensive that it's like you're committing to it in a way. And you don't get that in Arena because it's like, oh, this deck sucks. I'm just going to make a new one. <laughs> you know, I like I got the wild cards or I open the shit to, to build that deck. I can do that. Like that doesn't happen in Paper Magic. In Magic Arena, you can just switch around so like and, and play whatever you want uh, for way less money. It's great. Yeah, not to mention that uh, the clear advantage that uh, Arena has over Paper Magic now is that you can actually, you know, play with your friends without, you know, endangering yourself or others. Uh, that's, you know, that's one thing that, you know, I had been hankering for that just like sense of connection. You know, you, you play with, play Magic the Gathering with people in real life. Uh, that's how I played it my whole life. Um, you know, nine years ago I started playing, I haven't played as much as you, but still kept up with it for those nine years. And, um, yeah, I was just, I was just missing that sense of community and magic. The gathering arena is just a, a very polished way to do that virtually, which now is kind of a godsend. Yeah. It's, it, it's also nice. Cause like, I, I like playing the game, but it's even, before the whole pandemic, it's such a process to go play magic at a store. Like if you want to play, if you want to enter a tournament or play with random people, uh, it, it's a, it's an event, you know, it, it takes yeah. a significant chunk of your day where it's like the way I play magic now is in like bursts of like an hour, maybe 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like I'll play like a game or two and then go about my, <laughs> go about my day <laughs> I, yeah, I couldn't do that before. And it's like, 
now I can, and, and it means I can play this game that I like a lot, uh, way more than I used to be able to. Yeah, and that's like the best case scenario right now. Cheaper and virtual. It's awesome. It's really cool that this exists. It's a great investment. I mean, Wizards of the Coast, the company that does magic, that puts out magic, they must be, you know, pat themselves in the back like hell right now that they created such a full-featured and, you know, one-to-one version of magic virtually a few years ago, you know, before all this stuff happened because they would, I'm sure paper magic sales are way down right now. So it's pretty cool that this exists uh, as it does in 2020. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it saved their bacon because a lot of, a lot of sales are down, but also product can't get made. <laughs> so they can't even, like, people can't go out and buy it and they can't even make it, you know? It's, yeah. 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 It's a rough world, but at least we've got, you know, uh, zeros and ones that amount to Magic, magic the Gathering mm-hmm. at our disposal. <laughs> uh, but, but yeah, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. So, uh, you know, the world may be cruel, but if you need some respite from this cold, hard world that we find ourselves in, uh, Magic the Gathering Arena is free. You should check it out, everybody. Uh, you can get a week of, or a month or whatever of Shudder for free. You can watch some horrible, bad movies like Phantasm for free for a limited time only. Um you know, there's a lot of things you can numb your brain with, and we're here to, you know, peruse them for and with you. But before we wrap up, wrap up, I would like to just have kind of a family moment. This is a family podcast, and um, on our Discord, which I always forget to plug, but it does exist, um, we had uh, a, a lovely community member who has really just kind of very quickly become very... Uh, very close with me. Uh, he's my my new dad. Uh, his name is, I'm looking at it right now, his name is Jalexis. Jalexis, uh, if you're out there, shout out to you, dad. Um, I asked him what my favorite, what his favorite Rage comic was, and he said, my mom. And then I said, my mom is divorced. And then he said, not when I'm around. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> so uh yeah for the past couple days i've been calling him dad on our discord and i just think it's a really special place to meet you know new family you know they say family is you know the people you let into your lives and i'm just so happy that i've let jalexi's um into into my life and it seems like he's treating my mom really well so i just wanted i wanted to uh you know uh, uh bring that up in this very special family hour this has been the Motion Pixels podcast, and more importantly, the Motion Pixels family hour. So uh, thank you, Jalexis. And uh, if anyone else wants to be my dad, uh, stop on over uh, uh, by our Discord, which you can see the the link in the description. Um, And I'll also tweet it out next time I tweet out the episode. So uh, yeah, shout out to my dad. Uh, And also, this has been the Motion Pixels podcast. I have been your co-host and Jalexi's son, August Meyer. Uh, August, say goodbye. Bye, Dad. Uh, Joined by my lovely co-host, Matthew Rawlings. Matthew, say goodbye. Bye. Uh, And this has been the Motion Pixels podcast.
finished. Uh, dude, that video, that free Fortnite video was like, so I love internet drama. You know, I keep up with a lot of like dumb YouTuber drama, stuff like that. And uh, this falls into the category of internet drama, but it's on such a like petty and like high budget level that it's just, it's just a marvel. It's just a marvel to marvel at. <laughs> 